0: everybody my guest on this week's edition of the football report is lance griffin host of the game plan weekday 69 a.m central time on woof fm 100.1 and 560 a.m also editor of the dothan eagle uh, lance thanks for taking time out and i'm uh, coming back on the show yeah philip always a pleasure thanks for having me uh, it's always fun talking our college football you. just always a good topic to discuss any time of the year but we're coming out of uh week two just you know Two weeks in, you know, what? what's kind of like stood out to you so far, just college football, you know, as a whole of the season so far?
1: I think the named programs that that are struggling still appear to be struggling. The Mississippians, the Texases, the USC's, the Florida State's, you know, big, big names that, that just have not looked well out of the box. And there's buzz around all of those programs that, make you think that they were going to kind of come out of the mediocrity that they've been in, and thus far that hasn't been the case. So that's probably the one thing that has stuck out to me more than anything.
0: You know, you use that word buzz, and I kind of just jump into the first game from this past Saturday I want to talk to you about, and that's the Georgia-South Carolina game. And, look, I bought into it. I I thought all offseason, you know, maybe if there's a team in the East that could beat Georgia, it'd be South Carolina. I mean, you got Jake Bentley. Coming back, he's his third year starting quarterback. You know, you see talk of him. The pro scouts really like him. Rico Dowler, running back, is a talent. You got Debo Samuel coming back, in Will Champ, year three. You figure the defense is going to be elite. It's getting there. You know, with his level of coaching there. But you know, it was kind of South Carolina. I think kind of flirted with keeping this a game for a while. But I mean, really. As you watch it, you kind of feel like, okay, it's kind of close here, but Georgia eventually is just going to pull this thing away. And it just felt like they were dominating, even though maybe the scoreboard wasn't showing it.
1: They were. And, you know, you're exactly right. The scoreboard wasn't showing it. And and the game, actually, you're right, was kind of in the balance for a little while at least. But I've been bullish on Georgia for, for quite a while now, I believe. They're one of a very, very, very small number of programs that can build a program like Alabama has built, and I think they are on their way to doing that. So not not that South Carolina doesn't have players here and there that can line up with Georgia, but they certainly don't have 11 or 22 that can, and I think that that is the difference. Uh, I think Georgia... Not that they don't have landmines along the way, but certainly after seeing what Florida appears to be up against this year and rebuilding, Tennessee, I, I just don't see a big obstacle for them in the East uh, to repeat divisions again. So I'm I'm pretty high on Georgia.
0: Yeah, you know, is. Kind of more South Carolina, and really, in the stat that really catches my eye when I look at the, the bot score for the game is how many times South Carolina threw. I mean, I know you got down big, you had to start throwing it, but just early on, first play, five wide, no running backs. They really just had no confidence at all that they could run against Georgia and a team as good as Georgia, who okay, not as good quite yet, you know, on a level consistently as Alabama yet, but still a school, a team that good. If you're one-dimensional like South Carolina was on Saturday, you're really going to be in trouble from the start.
1: Yes, exactly. And they did get behind quickly, and that may have played into how they handled the game from a game plan standpoint after that. But maybe they also thought that if Georgia was going to be vulnerable anywhere, it would be on the back of that defense,
0: but really didn't prove to be the case. You know, we t- you know, talking about Georgia, how good they are and compared to the East, for me, I look at their schedule now, there may be two potential hiccups. And I think they're, they will probably get to Atlanta with, at most, one loss. And, but the LSU game at Baton Rouge, that could be a tough environment. I mean, it is a tough environment. It could be a tough situation. See how LSU is at that point. And, of course, the Auburn game toward the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So it looks like their two matchups with SEC West foes could be their biggest hiccups if they were to get beat this season.
1: Right, and there will probably be a game that Georgia comes out and just doesn't play well. It's very hard to play at a high level every single time out, and it is difficult to go to Baton Rouge no matter what LSU may or may not have. And then uh, the Auburn game probably could could go either way for sure, but I think they'll be fine in the East, even if they do uh, go in and, and lose one of those games, probably be fine to get back to. Atlanta for the SEC championship game, but then, of course, they would more than likely need to win that game to get to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, talking about Baton Rouge, I mean, I guess you just ask uh, Auburn over the years how hard it is to to go there and win because they had done so since 1999, and they found out last year with a 20-point blown lead there. Um, You know, next up, earlier game, Mississippi State at Kansas State. You know, that's also an intriguing trip, going to Kansas State, going to Manhattan, you know, and Kansas State won consistent you know, always a solid team, Bill Snyder there. I mean, I think he's going to be coaching forever. I don't ever see him, mm-hmm. uh, his career ending. You know, I guess for me, Mississippi State is, they're talented. They're they're a good squad, and I like Joe Moorhead as a coach. But for me, and we talked about this off the air before we got recording here this evening, is, you know, Nick, Nick you know, his completion percentage 11 to 27 and i've watched this game lance and he just threw a lot of them 20 yards past his receivers head i mean very inconsistent with his completion percentage you know over his career 2016 he was 54 percent 2017 he was 56 percent i guess for me for this team to really have a shot or maybe potential upset alabama and auburn he has got to be better in that area because they i think those two defenses those coaches and staffs can take away his running ability and force him to have to beat them in the air
1: I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I made the same observation when I was watching the Kansas state game, that that really to be a good team in the sec or maybe, maybe a great team, he's got to be 65% probably for that very reason that uh, he's going to have to make defenses respect his ability to pop, pop, pop down the field with his arm and didn't show it on Saturday. And I don't, I don't know. I didn't watch enough of the game closely to know if his receivers were running good routes or or if they were getting knocked off of them or what. But I I definitely saw the same thing that you did where most of the balls hit the ground. And uh, that's, that's not going to beat an Auburn. It's not going to beat an Alabama. Um, and it might not beat a couple of other teams.
0: Yeah, it's just, you know, Mississippi State is just, you know, how you judge success there i mean they've been so good under dan mullen and now with joe moorhead coming in and you know i expect them to be good this year win nine games probably like they did last year but i am kind of curious what's the future of this program past this year after nick fitzgerald is gone because you know dan mullen had that thing going i think after this year will really be a good judge and a test for joe moorhead what can he do there and can he continue what dan mullen did do while he was there in startsville
1: yeah, I think so. In short term, this year, I would probably try to gauge their program with how they did compared to Texas A&M. I think if I would not slot them ahead of Alabama or Auburn, but if they can slide into that third place in the West, I think you would consider that a uh, a good, good outcome for Gilmore first year. Going forward, I, I don't know. Dan Bowen has always, had always been able to win there with okay recruiting classes but not great and maybe that's what Moorhead will have to do because for some reason or another Ole Miss continues to recruit well despite being on probation and there's only a certain amount of talent in Mississippi and Mississippi State is on rare occasions going to grab a player here and there from another state but has to do well in state so it's the deck's always been stacked against Mississippi State and uh, and Dan Mullen, you uh, kind of felt like, was maybe the one guy that could overcome it. But a lot of people are very high on Joe, Mo- Joe Moorhead, and we may have to see if he can do the same thing with uh, play- making his talent play up.
0: Yeah, it seems in the state of Mississippi for, you know, which you know Ole Miss was a 6-6 six six team last year. But, you know, most years it's like one's good, one's not. It's not a situation where we mm-hmm. have here in Alabama where both Auburn and Alabama are good or back in the 90s where all the Florida teams were good. For state of Mississippi, it just seems like one has to always be down and other has to be up. They both can't be good at the same time.
1: No, and and then usually the one that's down beats the one that's up in the echo. Hole, <laughs> uh, it's weird, uh, mm-hmm. but you're right. And I don't know if it's because you know one team has has the, the talent or or what that may be. But uh, it, you can look back at history, and and
0: uh, that's pretty much been the case. And, and you talked about a few minutes ago about Mississippi State. You know judging him against Texas A&M. And I'll be honest with you, Lance. I have been kind of a uh, critical of Jimbo Fisher because I felt like maybe some of his success at Florida State, you know, take the two years with Jameis Winston away. He was probably a 9-3 nine, nine coach. But I kind of got to level back on that a little bit after what I saw Saturday night with Texas A&M playing Clemson. And the fact is, Jimbo Fisher has done well with quarterbacks. EJ Manuel, Christian Ponder, Jameis Winston, of course, all 1st round draft picks. And seeing the performance by Kellen Mond in that game Saturday night was tremendous, and it really showed to me – what Jimbo Fisher can do with quarterbacks. We talk about Dan Mullen all the time as the quarterback whisperer, but Jimbo Fisher is really good with quarterbacks. I mean, just in the stat line for Mond, I mean, 23-40, 433 touchdowns, and the throws he was making against a Clemson defense is one of the best in the country. So it's kind of one of the things, you know, and Jimbo Fisher's one of the coaches doesn't do moral victories, but when you look at it like, yeah, that was a loss, but in a way for the future for the A&M program under Jimbo Fisher, that is a win too. Yeah, 20 yards
1: completion for a quarterback that, for all intents and purposes, this time last year looked like nothing but a running quarterback that could only do something with his legs. I, I, I was extremely impressed with what Jimbo's been able to do with him in the short amount of time and also just that whole entire team. When you take a team that has been built on finesse and spreading it out and finding – People in space, and then all of a sudden, try to make them a physical team. Usually, it takes a while for that to take. Uh, there's usually some rough spots right at the beginning, and mm-hmm. well, they 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 went toe to toe with Clemson and, and really acquitted themselves very well. That's a good sign.
0: Yeah, and you gotta wonder. Okay, if you're looking at the SEC now. Maybe you kind of question Jimbo's reasoning for coming, especially coming into the West. But if this was a sign for things to come, the rest of the SEC you know, might need to be a little worried here what Jimbo can bring because, obviously, talent at Texas is there. It's You can get it. It's not hard to get talent in Texas. It's just what A&M has been putting it together, which Kevin Sumlin just couldn't do. So if he's able to do that, uh, Alabama, Auburn, LSU has been used to being top of the West. They might need to watch out.
1: Well, I, I, I think that's a fair warning because – they have unlimited resources uh, they just I think just got named the richest program in college football surpassing mm-hmm. Texas and you know Jimbo at Florida State I think Florida State wanted to give Jimbo everything that he wanted but it's a little bit slower process in Tallahassee where, where the resources aren't as plentiful and I think that's m- may have been a little bit of what got them sideways with Jimbo and Jimbo sideways with them so here he is at Texas A and M, and they almost literally gave him a blank check and just said, "Whatever you want, whatever your assistants want, whatever the facilities need to be, you know, we'll spend whatever it takes." And that's that's kind of how you build a program. I'm not ready to, you know, make Texas A and M the next dynasty, but you know they're they're trying to be. That's why they brought their coach in.
0: Yeah, you know, a big. Be- point in the game was of course they lost 28 26 the two-point conversion at the end but the fumble in the back end zone with about 222 left kvon wallace fumbled in the back end zone i don't know for me it didn't look like that went through the end zone that looked like a more fumble out of bounds uh, how did you see it and and i've been hearing a lot of discussion too about that rule i mean how you know maybe not give it to the defense when that happens bring it back somewhere else a change in that rule just overall with that whole situation what was your thoughts
1: yeah. Obviously when I saw it I I thought it did not cross the plane before it went out. I can certainly understand how an official who's trying to track the play and and he's kind of moving along with the play and trying to back out of the way because you know there are big bodies coming his way. I can understand why he may have thought it did and I can understand why the why the call was made the way that it was on the field. There was not a, a camera angle that tracked completely right down that line that would definitively tell that the ball went out before it crossed the plane. So I understand it all. I I think it was the wrong call, but I don't think there was any malicious intent in it. But, yeah, it is kind of funny that you can be at the one having just gone 99 yards and the ball plops out and falls one yard into the end zone and plops out, and then all of a sudden you've lost the ball. It, It is a little bit of a weird rule maybe they would consider, you know, that it would return, if, if the other team doesn't return it, it would return to the place where the ball is fumbled.
0: Yeah, and you know, I guess final on this game, my whole thing with Clemson, I look at their schedule, I look at the ACC, I mean, just a few years ago, the ACC looked like an up-and-coming conference, a lot of great teams, you had Florida State, Louisville playing well, Miami looked like a team last year, 10-0, then, you know, they lost four in a row before they finally won uh, this past week against Savannah State, but for them, I look at their schedule, I just think, this might actually end up being their toughest game. I mean, who knows? Clemson has lost in the last couple of years to teams you're looking like. How did you lose them? Like right. Syracuse, I uh, believe last season. But for me, it just they should be in a good spot now. We should see them in a playoff. Is what I'm saying because their schedule, that conference, this could be the toughest game to have all year.
1: Yeah, uh, and who knows what South Carolina may be at the end of the season? Uh, we don't know, but. It very well could be, but you're right. Clemson usually does run into a team that, that they just struggle with and, and drop that you don't think they will. But it's not been a great start for the ACC. Uh, Duke had the good win against Northwestern, but you know otherwise a lot of teams have struggled that you thought may be able to challenge Clemson. It doesn't look that way now.
0: Yeah, and it seems like the early season, the preseason was. It's going to be Alabama, Clemson again. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a, a Cleveland Cavalier, Cleveland uh, Golden State Warriors vibe <laughs> here with these with these programs. But um, Alabama, you know, another great performance by two in the offense. Um, but I guess first, let's talk back. Let's talk about Jalen. You know, the red deal. That story that came out early Saturday. You know, where it sounded like maybe Alabama they were going to redshirt Jalen. He may just play the four. There was a deal there unless Tua got hurt. Uh, Just the fact that he played against Arkansas State, were you kind of surprised at that? Because I actually was. I'm like, if you are going to do that, wouldn't you save him for three more games against really good teams just in case?
1: Yeah, I I remember that story coming out early Friday, and it didn't really come from, I guess, an unverified place or – a place where you just thought it, it might be maliciously planted or something like that. It first place I read it was the Athletic, and you know Aaron Suttles would, I'm sure, felt very good about where he was getting his information that it was somebody, uh, either Jalen or, or his family members' preference that he redshirted, and he would be surprised if he played. Well, obviously Nick Saban had other thoughts. There's no way that if Nick Saban was interested in preserving Jalen's redshirt, that he would have allowed him to play on Saturday. So, so that tells me completely that that's not in Saban's thought process. That uh, you know, if Jalen's part of the team, then Jalen's part of the team and can't be dictated as to when he may or may not play. So, I, I think after Saturday, that ship has sailed. Really, uh, he's. Uh, barring something weird. I mean, I don't think the whole red shirt Jalen idea is gone now.
0: Yeah. Cause you know, once he, I saw that he came into the game, I was like, okay, now this is a little bit different from, you know, saving what, you know, don't dare ask him about it. Don't do it. I know. <laughs> you know, he'll, he he uh-huh. does not quit asking him is what he said. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, the Ole Miss game is intriguing to me. I mean look, I don't think Ole Miss is going to beat Alabama, but I ha- I could see a scenario maybe. Ole Miss comes in there. I mean Ole Miss all year has nothing to lose, and I do believe Ole Miss will beat somebody they're not supposed to because of that offense. Jordan Yamu and all those receivers, you know, you got AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Demarcus Lodge. They have an offense, up defensively. They are horrible. So I could maybe see a scenario, maybe the first half, they give Alabama a little scare, test out that revamped secondary, then Alabama, you know, you know, puts the hammer down in the second half. But am I crazy thinking that this could be a close first half? Uh, what's your read on the game?
1: No, I don't think you are crazy at all. I I think the receivers for, El, for Ole Miss are just as talented as they were when they beat Alabama. I think the quarterbacks. Uh, I think Jordan Te- Teama is better than Bo Wallace. So, and I think the Alabama defense is not as good as the defenses that Ole Miss has beaten before. So I-, I do think that Ole Miss can, can move the ball down the field against Alabama and Alabama will have to be sharp on offense. Now, having said that, I think they will be and that Ole Miss defense is just awful. Uh, I don't, I don't see anything. That would make me think that the Ole Miss defense is just going to rise up and, and give Alabama a lot of trouble. So, um, but you know, how did, how did Ole Miss win that first game against Alabama? A weird bounce off a helmet, uh-huh. um, crazy weird things that weren't supposed to happen did. So in, in that kind of scenario, I, 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 I think anything is possible. And I don't think you're crazy at all in, in thinking that Ole Miss is going to beat somebody they're not supposed to. I don't. I'm not going to jump out there and make that prediction, but uh, I think uh, I think you and I are tracking and, and understanding that that Alabama is going to have to be sharp on offense to win the game.
0: Yeah, and you know, all thing with Ole Miss is they got to be thinking of going up against you know not just Alabama. You know, when they play Auburn, Mississippi State, whoever the big you know team is that they're not supposed to beat. Let's just get it to the fourth quarter. We can get to the fourth quarter. We've got a quarterback and some receivers that can make some plays. Get us within a touchdown. We can beat these guys. And I think that's a mindset they could they should have, and I think they do have. And, like, again, they have nothing to lose all season. There's no postseason for this team. Every week is just a new bowl game, just like I think the AD said when the, the sanctions got dropped. So, you know, Ole Miss, is, they're, they're a dangerous team for that reason. Like I said, they have nothing to lose.
1: They don't. and. <laughs> Not the hasn't been in in uh, pressure situations before, but this will be the first true road game, and you know bad bounce here and there. They find themselves down double digits. It it could get a little bit irky uh, there at the Grove. I, again, I don't think that will happen, but but you give you give a team with that's that talented on offense. You you do give them uh, punchers chance. So uh, I think it's certainly worth watching.
0: You know, finally, the big game this weekend, you know, I think the biggest game of college football this weekend, I know game day won't be there, but the Auburn-LSU game, and this is one of my favorite SEC games every year, mainly because I think it's an underrated rivalry in the SEC. I mean, you look at LSU, they look at their rivals, Alabama, then Auburn-Alabama, the Auburn-Georgia game. There's many other ones that seem to get up there, but this this series has seen some crazy moments. Last year, Auburn blowing a 20-point lead. The last Miles game where he got fired. All in and on, just been some crazy games. And I think this game here is coming down to the two quarterbacks, Jarrett Stidham and Joe Burrows, because it's going to be a physical football game. Both defenses are going to be flying over the place. They're going to be jacked for this game. Excited, want to approve a point, 230 prime uh, slot there. But for me, I have to go at Auburn because of Jarrett Stidham. I know what he can do in big games. I've seen him do it against Georgia and Alabama. Joe Burrows, the stats aren't there. I like what he does. He manages the offense well, but he seems confident at the court position, which LSU has not had much of the last few years. But I think it just feels like this should be an Auburn victory here.
1: It does. It, even though the game uh, year before last in Jared had was so weird and went right down the wire, I think, um, I think LSU has regressed since then, and, and Auburn is better. And I think that will show on Saturday. You gotta play a great game usually to beat Auburn in Auburn. And I don't see LSU being a great road team. I think they're gonna have a whole heap of difficulty moving the ball against that Auburn defense. I think they'll, they'll be in Burroughs face most of the time. Not that they can't disrupt Auburn and, and make it a little bit difficult for Auburn to move the ball, but I just, um, I, I'm with you. I, I think this is him over Burrow and Anthony Schwartz and Ryan Davis and Nate Craig Myers and Seth Williams and you know all those guys are typical, uh, capable of making plays and I just don't think LSU has those guys on offense now.
0: Yeah, you know, and lastly, you know, before I let you go, just you know, talk about Auburn. You know, looking at them, I look talent-wise. I mean. They're there with Alabama and Georgia, I think. You know, elite team, talent-wise, could win a national title. But their schedule, to me, is tough. They got this game. They got to go to Mississippi State. And then later in the season, I mean, you got a and still on the schedule, and you got to go to Georgia. You have to go to Alabama. So it just feels like for me to read for Auburn, this could be a team that goes 9-3. and three, but It could be one of the best 9-3 and three teams or 10-2 and two teams you've ever seen, but just a schedule maybe and be end up being their biggest nemesis this season.
1: It could be. The the good news is they've got, they're like, you know, home for what seems like eons to <laughs> yeah. um, be able to find themselves and to, to really be hitting their stride when they have to go on the road. So that is a good position to be in. And if they can stay healthy, get the offensive line solidified over the next few games, figure out who their running back is, the one that they're going to rely on. Um, they they could very well could be uh, in, in good shape to uh, to make that gauntlet of a road of trips with all the ones that they have to make. So I, I think they're they're right there. If all those questions get answered positively and they stay healthy, uh, they may be a team that can do it. But it's going to be tough.
0: I just say Gus Malzahn should petition that all twelve games get played at Jordan Hare Stadium, and they wouldn't have to worry about yeah. that because they're they'd be fine. Yeah, they're a different team there, without a doubt. But we'll see, you know, can they change that this year, change that narrative that they can go away from Jordan Hair and win. But, uh, Lance, it has been a lot of fun talking SEC football with you. Uh, really appreciate you coming on once again, taking time out uh, to be on the show. But uh, if the listeners wanted to follow you online, where can they find you? And uh, tell us about the game plan.
1: Thanks so much. The game plan uh, with Lance Griffin airs from 6 to 9 a.m. on FM 100.1 AM 560. We're also uh, on FM one hundred seven point one for our listeners in the Enterprise area. You can uh, tweet me at Eagle Lance on Twitter, and we have our Facebook page, The Game Plan with Lance Griffin. All
0: right, sounds good. Hope everybody goes check that out. And uh, Lance, once again, thanks for being on the show this week, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime down the road.
1: Yeah, the pleasure, Philip. Thanks so much.